you're fairly new, you've noticed by now this this basket of rocks up here. And maybe you're wondering, why are there rocks up here? Uh, Dr. Dave Williams from Malone University came a few weeks ago and did a spiritual life retreat with us. And one of the things that he had us do was to fill out a rock, which represented a stone of remembrance. And it was associated with coming to Hanover Friends, why you came, and why did you stay? And so thinking about that question, I thought, well, why did I come? Because I was called by the Lord and by you to be here. So I guess I was hired. That was one of the reasons I came. But why did you stay? And the reason I stayed, I I came, I just have to acknowledge, at a wounded time of my life in ministry. And I wrote on my rock, love of the people is why I stayed. And I still feel that today, and I hope you feel it as well. We're in a five-part series on God's attributes. I want to talk about God's love this morning. 1 John 4, 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've come to believe that and to know it. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I'd say love is probably the most familiar of God's attributes and perhaps also the most misunderstood. Did you notice what the text says? It says God is love, not love is God. There's a big difference. The world talks about loving who you love really as a way to justify sinful thoughts and actions. Is it good to love what God hates? Love is love has become a powerful rallying cry and it's produced a mandatory constituency in the gay rights movement. Allies, that is, heterosexual people who provided legitimacy, visibility and cover, making the LGBTQ plus movement almost look wholesome. Love is love. Proudly pronounced that the lover's authenticity determines the love's integrity. Who can judge love? It asked. The phrase seems innocuous and non-threatening, but inherent in its appearance was the deception that Eve met in the garden with Satan. Did God really say that love's virtue is in the eyes of the beholder and that it is inherently good no matter what the object? Does God define love or do I? Is God love? Or is my feelings God? It can't be both. Rosaria Butterfield. God wants your best. He's for you, not against you. If that is true, then why do so many people try to avoid God? They they run from him and refuse to believe he exists. It's because they're afraid. I think they're afraid what would happen If I really surrendered my life to God. So they keep a safe distance. I know I did during my teen years. People are afraid of God. I want to give you three fears that I think keep people from God. At least this was definitely my mindset when I was younger, before I became a Christian. I think the first reason is they're afraid they'll have to give up their fun. They're afraid they'll have to give up their fun. You become a Christian and the party's over. To be spiritual is to be miserable. 
Everyone wants to have a good time, especially young people. You only live once. You got to grab all the gusto you can. Well, at least that's what the TV commercials tell us. And so it must be true. Which sounds more fun to you? Miller time or Sunday school time? The TV commercials always show the big group playing volleyball at the beach, laughing and frolicking with a Bud Light in their hand. Like Christians can't play volleyball at the beach. The TV ad says, buy our product and you'll be them. You'll laugh and have no worries. And then they'll tell you, it doesn't get any better than this. Sure it does. That's a lie. It gets a lot better than that. Knowing God as your Savior and Lord who walks with you and your friend is a lot better than that. Try having a hangover and see if you want to have fun. Beer runs out. God never does. Fun is like the law of diminishing returns. You you spend more and more time and money trying to have fun and the thrill is gone. Are we having fun yet? We're looking for love in all the wrong places, says the song. Think about singles bars for a minute. Really, is there a more phony place in all the world? Everybody pretending to have a good time. Where, Where strangers walk up to strangers and offer to buy them something. Can I buy you a beer? I mean, do you walk up to people in the grocery store or in the, at Target or at, Mar- at Mark's or at uh, Walmart and say, can I buy you a toaster? It's really absurd if you think about it. And this is supposed to be fun? You fight fears with truth. First Timothy 6.17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God's not a killjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. He's not out to take your fun away. In Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. For Jesus to be called that means that he was associating with those people. He was at those parties. Fun is having a clear conscience. Fun is a unified family. Fun is worshiping God with other like-minded believers. Fun is having friends who don't abuse you and use you. Fun is exploring God's amazing world. Fun is knowing God is your father. Here's a second fear. They're afraid they'll become a fanatic. Though they do scream very loudly for their favorite football team with no shirt on. But they're afraid they'll become a fanatic for Jesus. Now, some Christians are weird. I admit it. It's true. And people have been turned off by them, not because they were too holy, but because they were too weird. Like the legalistic Pharisee types who have a rule for everything and suck all the joy out of living. And the unbeliever person looks at them and say, I got to become like him. 
or the self-righteous, holier-than-thou judgmental types, always gossiping about somebody. No unbeliever wants to be like them. Or the person who talks in Christian cliches. They, they can't say anything normal. Everything's a miracle. Or the devil is behind it. So the non-Christian thinks, this is who I've got to become? No thanks. Here's what Jesus says in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's Satan, what he wants to do. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life to the fullest. That's what Jesus has for you. So do the above stereotypes sound like abundant life to you? No. Jesus' harshest words were reserved for those religious elites. Read Matthew 23 sometime. Here's a third fear. They're afraid they'll lose their freedom. You see, I thought all these things. I'll lose my freedom. Which they mean is no restraints. They want to do, say, be what they want. I did it my way, is their motto. I destroyed everyone in my path, but I did it my way. I went through five marriages, but I did it my way. Total selfishness, but yeah, freedom. So what has sexual freedom really gotten us? AIDS, venereal diseases, abortions, suicides over unhappy people who thought, if I could only change my sex, then I'd be happy. So what has easy money gotten us? $33 trillion in debt in America and an economy that's on the verge of imploding. Maybe we're not as free as we think. With every choice comes consequences. Yes, we're free to make our choices, but we're not free to decide our consequences. It's called sowing and reaping. So what does the Bible say about freedom? Listen to John eight thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I like that word indeed. Really free. Freedom from guilt, worry, bitterness, the fear of death. Because I know I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm really free to live how I know God wants me to live. I don't have to pretend. How do I get rid of my fears? It tells us in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So as a Christian this morning, you may be thinking, well, I have some fears. I fear the aging process and dying. I'm afraid I'll never get married. I have fears financially. Well, fear can't coexist with God's love. So as our opening verse said, 1 John 4, 16, I need to realize how deeply, how much I'm loved by God. He's not cruel. He's loving. The first words of the resurrected Jesus were, fear not. I, I didn't come to scare you. I came to save you. We need to know how much God loves us. So how much does God love me? Ephesians three seventeen and 18. Look at that verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You notice those four dimensions there? Wide, long, high, deep. Four ways God's love 
is for you. Let's look at those. God's love is wide enough for everybody. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. All, everyone. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. That's everybody. Every single person, including you. That's good news. I guess the bad news would be that God loves your enemy just as much as he loves you. Someone said, you never lay your eyes on anyone for whom God doesn't love, including you. True self-esteem and self-confidence is knowing that you are created by God and loved by him. So if God loves me that much and you don't like me, the way I see it is you've got the problem. Who cares what they think? God loves you. And I don't have to earn it. Earn it by proving that I'm lovable to God and everybody else. You know what? He loves you when you aren't. I don't need to look a certain way. I don't need to dress a certain way. I don't need to drive a certain car so I can prop up my faltering ego. I'm loved by God. Period. Second thing, God's love is long enough to last forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Everlasting, that sounds like a long time, which is very comforting to me. Which is very different than human love. Human love can wear out. We get tired of people. We get annoyed by people. We'll say, you know what, I just fell out of love. Our love is conditional. It's based on people performing. Well, I guess I just don't love my spouse anymore. That's why we need God's love in marriages so much. I don't know how unbelievers make it. Human love is so easily hurt and discouraged, but God's love never wears out. God is patient and persistent and persevering. His love never gives up on you. No matter what you do, he'll never stop loving you. And he's never going to give you more love than he's giving you right now. He's never going to give you less love either. God loves you on your good days. God loves you on your bad days because his love is not conditional. God loves you and let him love you. Third thing, God's love is high enough to be everywhere. Romans 8.39 says, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's no place you can go where God's love isn't. You'll never be separated from his love. No person or situation can separate you from God's love because God's love is everywhere. God's love is truly the antidote for loneliness. Because you always have it. You always have God's love. Even if your spouse dies, you'll be sad. You'll grieve. 
You will feel alone at times, but the truth of the matter is you're never alone. God's love is right there with you. Fourth thing, God's love is deep enough to meet my deepest needs. Psalm 40, verse 11 in the Living Bible. Oh, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. My only hope is in your love and faithfulness. You may feel like you're going under today. Your problems are sky high. But God's love isn't shallow. It's profound. God's love is deeper than your deepest problems. Some of you this morning may feel like in deep despair. You're in deep trouble. You have deep stress. God's love is deeper still. Corey and Betsy Ten Boom lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and their family hid Jews from the Nazis. But that operation was discovered, and they were taken to a concentration camp. The concentration camp is, if we can imagine it, which we really can't, horrible beyond words. And Corey said to Betsy, this place is the pit of hell. And Betsy's words to her became famous, of course, through her book and movie. Betsy said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So maybe you feel like today you've hit rock bottom financially, your marriage, your health. You think, I'm going under. So where is God when you hit rock bottom, when you're gone under? Listen to Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And catch this. And underneath are the everlasting arms underneath you. So where is God when you hit rock bottom underneath you, catching you, supporting you with his everlasting arms? When you think you're falling and going under, you're just dropping into the arms of a loving God. Let him catch you. Let him support you today. If you feel like I'm at the end of my rope, well, guess who's at the end of the rope holding the other end? It's God and his love. So those four dimensions of God's love, height, depth, length, and width, are also the four dimensions of the cross. We can't talk about God's love without talking about the cross, for it is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My boys, when they were little, would come to me and ask me this question. How much do you love me? They knew what I would do. I would stretch out my hands as wide as I possibly could and say, I love you this much. And look at this pose, this posture. What does it remind you of? Jesus on the cross, right? So that's what he's saying to you this morning. I love you this much. You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not think it at this moment, but it's the truth. I love you this much that I died for you. So how can anyone think I'm going to heaven and yet reject that kind of love? It's nonsense. It's the ultimate arrogance to ignore it like it doesn't matter. Jesus has sacrificed on the cross for you. You matter so much to God. That's why he sent Jesus to die there for you. Well, that's, all, that's nice and all that, but I want to have fun. 
I don't want to be a religious fanatic. I don't want to lose all my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. Really? Do you really know what God is like? You wouldn't be here without God. He's the one that placed you in your mother's womb. He gave you life. He loves you so much, so much that he went to the cross for you. So quit rejecting him. So what is God saying to you today? I know one thing he's saying to you, and I hope you've heard it. He loves you. He wants you to know him as your heavenly father. He wants you to come back home if you've strayed far from him. He wants you to know how much he loves you, and he wants you to get to know him better. Let's pray. Lord, we can't completely fathom it because our ideas of love are so conditional. It's based on performing well, but yours isn't. Thank you, Lord, for the everlasting love that you have loved us with. Even when we can't understand it and we don't feel we deserve it, you still give it because you're God and God is love. Lord, I pray that everyone in this building this morning and viewing would know and experience your love in a deeper way than they ever had before. And Lord, certainly another way that you love us is is through the bread and the cup, through your supper. Lord, we're in a special way, a mysterious way that we can't fully comprehend. You're with us through that meal. You said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I will dwell in you and you will be my people. So, Lord, this morning as we come to the table, I pray that you will wash away all our sins, our sinful thoughts that maybe we've had today, recently. we forgive those who have sinned against us so that we can take the cup and the bread with a good conscience. Lord, and if anyone here this morning does not know you as his or her Savior yet, they haven't really surrendered themselves to you and that the Holy Spirit lives in them, that even right there where they're sitting, just a prayer right now, forgive my sins, O Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe it. I put my faith and trust in you alone for my salvation. Not because I'm a good person, but because you're a good God. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that we can reflect on your love as we take these elements, which so beautifully and mysteriously point to your death on the cross for us, where your body was broken, your blood spilled. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for this time with you, a special time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just a moment, the ushers.